Thank you very much. It reminds me of the game Clue, Professor Plum. Right? Do you have that? We, have it, we call it Cluedo, where I'm from. And you have, you have Miss Scarlet, who killed Mr. Professor Plum with the dagger in the library. Right? Nobody's killing anybody today. All right? So um, it's nice to be, to be back with you guys. Um, it always is. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to speak about some things today. I'll be specific about that in a minute. But I want you to know, I have, I have a request and a prayer that I have, and it's that one day they will make these things for small people so that you can move them up and down or something, right? Because I kind of have to keep coming around it so that you can see me. Because you, otherwise you only see like half of me. It looks like a puppet show. You know, I mean, you just see my head like there's somebody behind me moving me. So I want you to be able to see like from about here. So, Mike, you're about my height, right? You're a little bit taller. I'm 5'6". How tall are you? 5'8". Five, eight. Five, eight. With shoes on or off? Oh, and that doesn't count, brother. So you're five feet six. <laughs> I can be five ten if I wear shoes like Elton John. You know what I mean? But okay, so yeah. So pray about it, Mike. See, put in a request, put in a purchase order to the past. We got to get a up and down thing. All right. So uh, I want to talk about some things and continue. On a, and Les had told me that you guys have been. I'm checking the clock. That you guys have been doing a series um, called the Third Option. And, and I, want to, I want to talk about something specific in that series today. But before I get there, just, just let me talk a little bit about that idea, the third option uh, from my perspective. It's something Les and I have talked a lot about over the years and something that he's used a lot actually when he's coached people, and, and I would be one of those, of course, where you know sometimes you're in life and you're, and you're looking at situations and you think there's only two ways that you can go, right? Or, or it looks like there's only one way to go and the alternative is... Is not good. So you can, you can, we can get really jammed up with that, right? Where you're not aware that there's, there's more than two choices that you can make. And if, and if both of those look bad, <laughs> then you get really, you get in a jam. And, and, you, and he's really good at that, helping you figure that out. So I like that he's doing this series. I sound really loud in here. Is it just I'm, because of these or something? So anyway... Um, but it's a helpful term to think about, and I think one of the reasons it's helpful is that we can often see the world as it's this or it's that. And when I say the world, I mean as you're going through life, um, and, and especially for the believer, we don't want to view everything with it's only this or it's only that. Now, let me clarify something. I'm not saying there's no absolutes in the world. There is a God and there's a de- there are some absolutes. There's a God, there's a devil, there's only one way to heaven. It's either Jesus... Or it's nothing. So uh, let's get that out there. I'm not saying in everything. But there are many things that we take dogma like that. Like Jesus is the only way to heaven. There's no, other, there's no other way. We take that way of thinking and apply it perhaps to too many different things. That there's only this way or there's only that way. And you get in a jam. And we get stuck up. And I want to say it like this. I think that's something why the third option is important for us to learn. is because it's part of maturity. It's part of growing up is to realize that there's, more than, that there's more than two options. You know, when we're young and when we're immature, we're very black and white, right? Remember when you were a teenager? That was, that was when you were at your best activism, was when you were about 13 or 14. Victoria's right there right now. She's only 11 and a half or something like that, but she's... <laughs> she, she handles that well. I always guess her age younger than she is. But anyway, she's at that age where... Right? Remember when you were a teenager, you, you had a lot of dogma, especially with your mom and dad about how right and how wrong they were. 
and how brilliant you were and how stupid they were, right? But of course, when you grow up a little bit, you realize, oh, there's actually more options than what I thought there were. So it's a part of maturity that you, you, can, you can balance life and realize that there's more than just two things to choose from. That it's often, I think, we, we get in this, there's only two options because we're not seeing the world as a community of people. We just see it from what I want and what I think is best for me. We, we have an 18-month-old granddaughter, our first grandchild, and uh, the other day she had some chocolate in her hand, and uh, she was just walking around with it, treasuring it. So I said to her, are you going to share that? Can I have some of that? And she goes, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> she doesn't speak much. But she says, no, 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 and backed up and started stamping her feet. Like, she obviously doesn't want to share. And, and that's a lot of how we are when we're young. You, you, you only see how something's going to affect you. And that's part of what plays into why we will only sometimes think there's two options. What's good or bad for me? We're not, we're not engaged with the third option, not only of what's good for the community of the human race, that I share this planet with a lot of other people. <laughs> but also that it's actually God's planet. It belongs to Him. It's all His. And, and He's at work and He's doing something that I may not know about. So sometimes we get really a tight vision for options that we think we have. And I think that the crucial third option is this. It's always inviting God into the process. That's always, it's the third option, but it's, it's the best option. It's always inviting God into the process. You know, the idea of looking at only two options actually comes from the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what it did for them was it put them into a way of thinking or a way of being that only sees two options that they can decide. Think about this for a second. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there's two options there. Here's the third option, the tree of life, which is the one that they were able, which represents the presence of God, the Spirit of God, or Jesus being the source for everything that you need. And they were uninhibited in how often they could eat from that tree. In fact, all the other trees in the garden, God had made everything for them abundantly. But certainly the tree of life was the main tree that would sustain them and give them everything they needed, all the wisdom, all the knowledge, all the understanding, all of the, the, the uh, power and authority they needed to partner with God in this garden came from that tree of life. But they wanted to have control, and that's what that tree of the knowledge of good and evil is about, so they could decide for themselves this or that, good or evil, Bad, not bad. This option, that option. That's, that's where it comes from. It comes from the Garden of Eden. And we inherited that way of being that we so often get jammed up in. So here's the first clue of what might help today is this. Whenever you find yourself there, it's not just the third option to go shuffle through, you know, dust off the Bible and look for a verse to apply to your situation. But go to the author of the Bible the breath of life that breathed the Scriptures into being and get His interpretation and revelation for what it is you ought to be doing. So whenever you're feeling jammed up, maybe it's that you're going to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, wanting to stay in control and decide for yourself. When Jim's deciding for himself, I've only got this or I've only got that, that's probably a clue that I'm going to the wrong tree. 
<laughs> and that God's presence, God's revelation of himself is what's going to give me not just actually a third option, lots of options. But he himself, you know, is that, is that third option. So staying engaged with the spiritual realities of life, with the unseen, with God's presence, with God's involvement, with God's passion, with God's desire, uh, with God's will, with God's love. Staying engaged with that gives me the third option that I need. In fact, when you think about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, how I just described it, that is actually, when, when that's happening to us, I think, I believe that that's a demonstration. It's a fruit of the culture of this world, that the Bible talks about this world. You know how the, the, the God of this age or the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world, as Satan is described. There's a, there's a way of being. There's a way of approaching life that's of this world. The Scripture says that we're in it, but we're not of it. There's a way of being that's of this world. And I believe that this two-option way of thinking is a fruit of we're following the spirit of the world because we're keeping God out of the equation. We're dependent on our own strength. We're depending on our own ability to get something done. Here's, and, and here's, I want to talk about culture for a minute. This is not really my topic. This is still my introduction. <laughs> so I, I'll get to the topic in a minute. So, but I want to talk about culture because if that's the way of the world, this or that, there's only two options, dogma. You see how I actually think about it. I can think back to my own life, how awful that has been when I've been acting like that. When I, especially when I impose it on somebody else, it's very handy for helping judge people actually. Just give them two options. You either do it the way I think you should do it, or you're of the devil. <laughs> I'm being facetious, right? You, you either think how I think, or you can't be a Christian. I actually was involved in, in helping some people a few years back when we lived in Panama in a conflict. It was a church conflict with the pastor and, and one of the leaders in the church. And, and, um, and everything was going fine, and then they hit a bump in the road. And then there was a big disagreement. And then the one guy asks me, do you even think the pastor is saved? And I'm like, okay, you need, you need, <laughs> I did laugh at him, and, and he didn't think it was funny. He was dead serious. I said, well, you thought he was saved last week. Last week you were leading the church with him. So he didn't get unsaved in one week. So that, that's, the, that's a bit radical and a bit extreme. But we've probably all done stuff like that. I've done that, right, where it's either this or that. If you don't agree with me and lead the church, I want to lead it. I don't even know if you're saved. I mean, that's horrible. <laughs> but that's what happens in the stuff that we'll come to when we're not listening for the unseen reality of the presence of God. What is God doing even in conflict, even in disagreement, even in extreme trial? It's never just this or just that. There's something else that God is doing. And the culture of the world, here's what, what the Bible says about it. The Apostle John says this. You, dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. That's not our culture. When you, when you come into the kingdom of God as a Christian, that's not your culture. We don't operate the way the world does. We're in the world, but we're not of it. Let me talk a little bit about what culture is because that's the topic I want to get to in a minute is a particular value in the culture of God's kingdom that's different from the culture of the world that we live in. The culture of God's kingdom is, is from another realm, of course. You see Jesus talking about this with, um, what's his name, Pilate. 
right? right when, when Jesus is taken before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate asks him, are, are you a king? And he says, yes. And then they have this dialogue where Pilate is confused. Well, well you know, and he's, are you the king of the Jews and so on? And Jesus, yeah, my, but my kingdom is not of this world. Oh, so you are a king then, is what Pilate says. And then they have this. And you can see the confusion in Pilate. The kingdom of God and its culture is from another realm. And it's inside you as a Christian. It's a culture. It's a set of values inside you. Waiting to be manifest. Waiting to come out from within you to impact the culture of this world. There's a scripture I'm going to get to later where it talks about in Revelation that Jesus... When all things are finalizing, it says he, he has, uh, be, I'll get to quote it later, but let me paraphrase it right now. Basically, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. And he does that through the manifestation of his power and presence through the church, through you and me, through his body is how he does it. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Let me give a definition for culture to help us. Because God's culture is our highest ideal to aim for. Culture is a common set of values within a group that direct how we relate to one another. This is my definition. I think it's a good one. If you just think about that for a minute, I'll repeat it. Culture is a common set of values within a group that direct how we relate to one another. Now, they can be spoken or they can be unspoken, but we are influenced by them. And for, for better or worse, we're influenced by cultural values. And the kingdom of heaven, of course, the values of that kingdom is always good. It's always best. It's always eternally fruitful for me. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples of how culture works and how it can, the culture of this world is in conflict with the culture of the kingdom of heaven. Here's a good, what I think is a good example. When I moved to the United States from Scotland, it was, it was 1997. And we drive on the left-hand side of the road. And the steering wheel is on the right-hand side of the car. So if you drive a stick shift, which I did, it's down here. It's at your left hand. So when I first came here and started driving, first of all, it was automatic, which I'd never done that before. So I kept aiming for the stick, the gear stick, and I'd keep opening the window because I'd keep hitting the buttons on the side of the door. I'd go, change down a gear, hit the buttons, the window would come down. Well, that, right? Because my mind was trained from driving that the stick shift is it's instinct. You, it, it's something that's kind of built into you over time that everybody does. There's not another way to do it. You cannot drive on the other side of the road in Scotland. Well, you can, but you'll be dead. So then I would come here, and I, on the freeways, it wasn't too bad because there's all these lanes and everybody's going the same direction. But I drove to Lake Conroe one weekend, and I remember going around a bend in the road where I can't see the traffic coming the other way, and it was everything in me to stay on the right-hand side of the road. Because I'm thinking, I'm thinking a car is going to come around the other way, and it's going to be on my lane and smash into me. It's completely not true, because I'm driving here on the correct side of the road. That's, a, that's part of a culture. It's a value, it's a law, it's a rule. It's something that everybody does and everybody knows and you fail if you don't follow it. You can, you can choose not to follow it, which means you're not going to drive. You can still live here, but it's going to minimize your experience. 
The same is true of the culture of the kingdom of heaven. It contradicts and conflicts with a lot of things built into us from the culture of this world. And if you want to maximize that culture and that kingdom, you have to adjust. It's actually already in you as a believer. But we have this conflicting thing in us, just like I had in that driving where all these years of training, all this experience that I could tell you story on story upon that validates that experience. But when I move to a different culture, it means nothing. It's completely irrelevant if I want to get the best out of being here. You with me? Same when we went to Panama. We lived in Panama. And we, we saw this. I've seen people like me do it here as well. We've got people that moved to Panama, are not from there, and they speak Spanish. So that's a, this is an easy, obvious one. I mean, are you going to maximize your experience living in a Spanish-speaking country if you only speak English or you speak Finnish? You can live there and enjoy the weather and the birds and all that, but you're not going to have any relationships. Your ministry is going to be minimized. Your impact in the community is going to be less. You can do some things, but you can't do a lot of things. It's exactly the same with the culture of the kingdom of heaven. If we resist and say, well, this is the way I've always done it. This is the way I've known it. This is just what feels intuitively right to me. There's only two options, and I don't want the other one. Then what happens is we minimize and we reduce our capacity to experience the power of God, to experience the presence of God. The adjustment for the foreigner is on the foreigner, not the local. I don't expect everybody in Panama to start speaking English to suit me. I wouldn't have them speak English anyway. I'd have them speak with a Scottish accent, which is still some English and a bit of Scots and a bit of Norse. So if imagine me going there and saying, no, everybody here needs to start speaking like me. Uh, it's not going to happen, is it? So you can't resist. You cannot resist the values, the common values of a culture that's foreign to you. In the same way, the culture of the kingdom of heaven wants to impose itself on us, not by takeover, but because it's better for us. And the manifestation of it in us and through us will actually change the culture of this world. And that's how Jesus manifests that truth and revelation, that the kingdoms of this world are now the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. It happens through you and I, adjusting to the culture of heaven. Jesus says this about uh, John in John 17. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. That This is the disciples he's talking about. But he goes on and relates it to us. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. But that you protect them from the evil one. Meaning keep them in there and protect them from the devil. We're supposed to help Jesus take over. Not by force of course. But by love. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So we see that Jesus is talking here about his people. And there's different terms he uses for this, or or that the New Testament uses. The church, the ecclesia, the assembly of God. The body of Christ, you know, is another one. And that's what I want to talk about right now. So I've set all this idea up about culture to talk about one of the values of the culture of heaven is that we have hope in a glorious church. That's what I want to talk about today. Hope in a glorious church. That is a value of the kingdom of heaven. Not a defeated church. Not a wimpy church. Not a scared church. 
Not a running and hiding church. Not a religious church. Not a denominational church. A glorious church. A, a glorious body. A bride is another term that's used in the New Testament for us. It's a bit peculiar for the guys, I think, to think of ourselves as the bride of Christ. But it's, it's a metaphor for us as a whole, right? The bride of Christ being glorious. And you have these scriptures in the New Testament about how Jesus is beautifying his body, his bride, so that when he returns, he comes for this glorious bride. But it's supposed to be an ongoing journey. Glorious church. And, and I, the word hope is deliberate in there. And I, I want to define this in a moment. I'm going to define hope, church, and glorious. That's, if you like the three points, there's three points for you. Hope, church, and glorious. So let me talk about what hope is. Because a lot of people, when they think about the church, a lot of people have, don't raise your hand, a lot of people got, have gotten hurt in church. <laughs> or have gotten disappointed with church, or church has failed them, or hasn't met their needs, or there's lots of stories of that, and probably everybody in here, if you've been long enough, could tell one or two. And that's definitely true. I'm going to say something about that, and this is, not, this is not my own phrase, and I'm going to get it wrong, but I really like it. We cannot reduce the values of God's kingdom to our experience. We cannot reduce the values of God's kingdom to our experience. That's a this or that type of thinking. Well, the church failed me. That means the church is terrible. They're all hypocrites. You ever heard that? <laughs> I've said it. <laughs> Just in case to comfort any of you, right? Yeah, that guy, my pastor, he's a hypocrite. Our church is all hypocrites not going there. Well, that's like saying I'm not going to hospital because everybody's sick. It's when you go to church to get better. <laughs> So, now, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize pain. God may want to heal some pain that you've had from that. I'm not minimizing that at all. But I'm saying it's only one thing. It's not just this or that. God has many scriptures. I'm going to get to some of them. The Bible has many scriptures that talk about a glorious church and the hope that we should have of participating in that glorious church. Not just when Jesus returns and we're all in heaven and everything's perfect, but today. Right now, the hope of a glorious church, because his life is in this church. His spirit is in this church. There's two places where the Bible says that you're, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's very personal. It says, honor God with your body. You are bought with a price. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's in Corinthians. But in another place, it actually talks about us as a corporate group and says, the body, or you are his body, the temple of the Holy Spirit in which God dwells by his Spirit. So among, that's a glorious thing right there if I never said anything else. That's why we come together. That's why it's been frustrating in this COVID thing. We can do Zoom and we can do FaceTime. Of course we can. And it's been effective for a lot of churches because God redeems everything. He's awesome. He's not limited. However, when we're together, that's why worship and all that, right? You feel... It's, I mean, we have great times on our own at home, and you should have them. But there's a beauty and there's a glory, and when we come together as God's people, and we release something from within us, it's all of us as a culture releasing the presence of God that makes it glorious. <laughs> it's like you just love it. I love it. I love to worship this morning. Sometimes I feel like I want to, I'm probably talking that way now. I think I'm talking fast and loud. But sometimes I want to take my shirt off and just like swing it over my head and run down the room. You'll be glad that I don't. Nobody wants to see that, right? YouTube would get shut down if I did that, right? Or Facebook or something like that. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. I feel like sometimes I feel like I want to burst. Anybody else ever feel like that? You just want to burst. 
I have it occasionally at home, but mostly I have it when I'm with the church, when I'm with my people, when I'm with God's people, when I'm in that thing where the Spirit of God, that mystery of how He's moving and why He's moving corporately, different than He does when I'm on His own. That's the hope of a glorious church. Is there mistakes and is there flaws? Of course there is. But sometimes we're only thinking it's this or that. If I go to a church and I see a flaw, that's it, I'm out. I'm just going to do Joel Osteen on YouTube. That's only one thing. The, the bigger thing, the third option that you want to ask God to reveal to you is, show me the glory that's in your church. Show me where I impart your glory when I'm with your church. That would be a better prayer, just as an example. So hope, let me go, let me go to hope then. Man, I'm running out of time so fast. I didn't drink any coffee before I started this. I'm just excited. I'm just feeling like God is just wanting to impart something to us. And I've been studying on hope, actually, for uh, about three weeks. So when, when, when Les asked me today about talking about this, I was, I was really excited. And God started giving me some understanding for myself, as well as, you know, for this time together, um, about hope. And so let me talk about that. So I'm going to do hope, church, glorious. I'm going to try to, I have to, I'm going to have to reduce. But hope is such a big deal. I mean, I think we use that word so often, right and wrong. But as, as, as God started showing me stuff about hope, I started to see songs and things that, I, that I've known over the years and comments that I've known and metaphors that I've known about hope. And I've been missing it so bad for so long about what hope really means and how powerful and how, um, how fundamental it is to the value of the culture of God's kingdom is the value of hope. You know, you've heard me say it here before, actually I've used it, the person with the most hope has the most influence. And hope is not about a glass half full, right? There are people that you would say, well, you're a pessimist, glass half empty. And, okay, well, you know, this person's an optimist. Well, the glass is half full. That's the way of the world, see? It's one or the other. Here's a third option. I love this. Third option. It's not a glass half full or empty. The cup overflows. (laughs) That's from the Bible, right? Psalm 23. Surely, you know, the Lord has laid a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Not in their absence. In their presence. God made a table for me. He anointed my head with oil, meaning we're having a party, and my cup overflows. <laughs> That's hope. Anyway, I'm getting ahead here, but now I'm kind of rambling all over the place. So let me come back a bit. Hope, I'm starting to see how powerful and how deep it is as a root core value for the church, for God's people, as a group, but for you today as an individual. Let me describe what hope is like. When you look in a dictionary, basically it'll say that hope is an expectation or a belief in the fulfillment of something desired. An expectation or belief in the fulfillment of something desired. Now let me add to that because that's hope in a dictionary. Here's biblical hope. Biblical hope is the same thing, fulfillment of something desired, that God is going to do. It's not because... Just hope like that can be, well, when you say this, well, I, I hope that I win the lottery. We use the word like that, right? That's where to use it wrong. That means you wish. You fantasize is what that is. <laughs> you fantasize or you wish, but we use the word hope. That's, that's, not the meaning of, that's not the biblical meaning of the word hope. 
The biblical meaning for the word hope is that I have faith for the future in what God is going to do. Faith for the future in what God is going to do. So it's not just some optimistic thing. It's connected to something concrete and foundational, and that is that God is good, and He's doing good in my future. And that gives me, I can back up from there to today and have confidence and be at peace and so on and so forth. Because my hope is actually in God's character. Not in how well I'm doing. Not in how hard I'm trying. Not in how faithful I have been. When I'm faithless, He remains faithful. My hope is in God. And that God is already in my future. Psalm 139 says this. You have gone into my future and you have prepared the way. And it goes on and it says, And in kindness you have spared me from the harm of my past. If you don't need another Bible verse the rest of your life, there's one. Psalm 139. You have gone into my future and prepared the way. And in kindness you have spared me from the harm of my past. Meaning whatever you've done before can't catch up to you. It's not going to get you, and it's not going to sabotage you. And God has already gone into the future because He's timeless, and has got all sorts of things prepared for you, and that gives you hope today. That's what your hope is. Faith for the future. That's why you can rejoice when life sucks. Because sometimes it does. Sometimes you have hard days. Sometimes you have tragedy. Hopefully not too many, but tragedies come in life. You have struggles, you have sickness, you have money problems, relationship problems. That's why back in the day when you read these Christians who are being crucified and set on fire on a cross or something, and they're singing. Who does that? I'll tell you who does that. Somebody who has hope, who's not stuck in that moment, but has faith for the future. That even if right now what my experience is saying to me, that's not the only thing, there's another option. The other option is that God has gone into the future for me and has prepared so many great things and wonderful things for me. I can't lose. Even when it looks like I'm losing. I don't lose. So biblical hope is what God is doing in the future. Here's another way that might help us. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see, right? Faith is being sure of what you hope hope for, certain of what you don't see. And here's a little bit of difference that might help between faith and hope. Because I just mentioned that faith is, uh, sorry, hope is faith for the future. That's a really good way to define it that helps me. So here's the difference between faith and hope. And how, why I said it a moment ago, why hope is such a big deal and how badly I've been missing it. It's because, if you like, hope is like a big container that keeps your faith. Faith is more, when you aim at something specific, you use like faith as small as a mustard seed, right? You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be done for you. Or by faith, we pray and we ask for things. Give us today our daily bread. Right? You use your faith for that. So aiming at something specific, something that you want, something that you need. Well, what happens when you don't get that something? I prayed for this house with a red door, and I believed God was going to give it to me. And I went all the way to the title company, and I had the deposit for the house in the bank. The earnest money was there. And all I had to do was sign, and the deal didn't end. It, the deal didn't go through at the last minute, and I didn't get the house I believed for. God doesn't love me. God doesn't answer prayer. What happens when you use your faith at something specific and it doesn't happen? 
A lot of people, a lot of us, we get discouraged and we get disappointed. This is where hope kicks in. Hope is your bigger picture or your larger container that you have faith inside it, that you back up from that thing and you realize, I have faith for the future and it's confidence in God's goodness towards me all the time. And so what hope does is it protects me when my faith gets misplaced, misdirected, or the devil just disrupts something. It doesn't make me quit and it doesn't make me give up. I back up from that small, it's like looking through a microscope. My faith makes me look through a microscope at one specific thing I'm aiming for. And if that doesn't work out and doesn't come the way I want, I can use my faith again because I have hope. I back up and I take a look at the bigger picture of God's greatness, His goodness, His faithfulness, and his character towards me. That's what hope does for me. It protects me in the ups and downs of life as I go along. And so a lot of us have, and I've done this in my life, I've only really looked at faith. And I've overlooked the power of hope. You know, there's, a, there's an old hymn that we would sing where I'm from. We sing actually quite a few hymns that talk about the sea because we're from a little island. So we sing, these are old hymns. But there's one of them that says... Um, Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? That's kind of the first line of the song. And the, and the chorus goes, We have an anchor that keeps the soul. Now, the reason I'm talking about an anchor, have you ever seen maybe a lady wears jewelry or something like that and has an anchor on it? What does it symbolize? Hope. We have an anchor that keeps the soul. This is how the hymn goes. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock that cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. That's hope. That's why it's called an anchor, because it keeps you steady whenever things are not working out the way you want, even when your prayers didn't get answered the way you want and they get answered. And here's what it does for you. Here's the great thing about it. It gives you the motivation to use your faith again. It doesn't mean that you throw your faith away and you dump your mustard seed. It means you use it again. Because you have hope that God will answer, that he's got something better, something more for you. Man, I'm going to have to wrap this up. Unless I'm not even getting to what you asked me to talk about. Let me see where I'm going to do this. Here's a scripture that might help you. So you think, well, Jim, you're just making this up. You know, you're just trying to make us feel good. And, it's, you know, you're excited even without coffee. But here's a scripture for you. It's Colossians 2.24. It says that in Christ, we are always being led in triumphal procession. In Christ, we are always being led in triumphal procession. Always. That's hope. That gives us hope. That whatever I might be experiencing today, I will not minimize the values of the kingdom of heaven to my experience, I have hope that God is leading me in Christ in a triumphal procession, that I'm going to keep winning, that I'm actually winning even when I don't feel like I'm winning, even when it doesn't look like I'm winning. I'm going to keep hope because of what God is doing. Let me, let me jump through and throw a few things. Here's some of the benefits of hope. That's about all we're going to get to today. The church and the glorious part, we'll have to do another time. But here's some scriptures. Here's, here's the benefits to you personally of having hope in God. And let me say this, because and I'll mention this when we conclude, and what we'll do is an activation to help ourselves. But hope is something you have to choose. 
You can hope in one political party or another if you want. You can hope in the money that your mom and dad are going to leave to you when they die if you want. You can hope that your spouse will make you feel loved more than anyone if you want. You can hope that your kids are always going to be awesome and take care of you for the rest if you want. And that these things are going to give you peace. You can hope in all those things if you want. Or we can believe what God says about himself. And most of all, what he's proven in himself. The greatest reason that we have for hope is the resurrection of Jesus. That's our reason for hope. And the Bible actually says this. It says that through him we have an inheritance that is kept for us in heaven. That will never perish, spoil, or fade. And in him we have a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus, you and I have an inheritance. You and I have so many blessings that God wants to give to us. And it all comes because he rose from the dead and is giving you a living hope that's inside you right now. That you can choose to focus on and follow and believe in and let it manifest inside you. Or you can put your hopes in this world. I can put my hopes in this world or other people, other things. Or I can choose today, I'm going to put my hope And what God has proven to me in his character and in his goodness, it's a choice. It really is as simple. I will believe in him or I won't. I will put my confidence in him. And what that does is it surges up something inside you that doesn't get you all fuzzy and weird about what's going on around you. Because you're not looking specifically at this one moment. You're backed up to such a bigger picture. Paul even said this. If we are only in this life to hope in Christ... We are to be pitied more than all men. 1 Corinthians 15. He's talking about the resurrection. Our hope is grounded. Our anchor for our hope is the resurrection of Jesus. And that through his living hope, the Holy Spirit that he puts in us, that I'm solid, I'm secure for eternity. And Paul is saying, if you think that following Jesus is just good for this life, you're to be pitied more than everybody. We are. How pitiable would that be? That's how I would put it. What a pitiful thing that all that we can hope for is to just get through this life. But the resurrection of Jesus brings us an eternal hope and satisfaction and peace that makes worth living this life with strength and looking to change the world and impact the world and bring courage and hope to the world and not getting messed up with whatever the world is doing. Because we have a much bigger picture, a living hope, which is Jesus himself. So let me begin to conclude with this. Here's, let me throw a few scriptures. Here's the benefits to you of hope. Let me say it like this. Here's, what, here's the fruit that comes out of hoping in God when you choose it. When you choose to hope in his character, Romans 12, be joyful in hope. Joy comes out of hope. If you're feeling miserable, your answer is to hope in Christ. Joy comes from that. Faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, Colossians 1. Faith and love come out of hope. If you're struggling with your faith, if you're struggling to love, choose hope in God. We continually remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, get this, and your endurance inspired by hope. If you're struggling to stay in there and to endure, hope is your remedy. Hope is your answer. Hope in God. For the law made nothing perfect. A better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. When you're in hope, you get closer to God. That's what that's saying. By hope, you draw near to God. He's delivered us from a deadly peril 
and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. If you need deliverance today, freedom from satanic or demonic oppression or the oppression of sickness, Jesus is your hope for that freedom and for that deliverance. There's lots of more scriptures. Here's a couple more. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Hope gives you boldness. Because it's not just this or that. <laughs> There's so much more that God is doing. And here's, here's a really good one. And with this, I'm gonna, I really am going to conclude. And this is the one that's applied to me the most. Some of you will know I went through a season in my life about 10 years ago. No, 11, 12 years ago where I just got depressed and I was so hopeless. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. It's a horrible feeling to feel hopeless. And hopeless a lot of times will come from disappointment. You don't have to raise your hand. But I would bet everybody in this room has faced disappointment at one level or another. You felt disappointed in people uh, that shouldn't have disappointed you. Even disappointment in God, probably because of your wrong expectation. Of course, it must be. The fault can't be on God's end. But it's real nonetheless that you feel disappointed. And trying to work through getting to the truth from God to overcome that disappointment can be hard. Here's your antidote for disappointment. Here was the healing balm that has come to me that helped me overcome disappointment because disappointment can keep you so stuck and so miserable and weak and defeated and scared. If you're looking at the world around you right now, I mean, unless you're completely dumb, you're, go- you're confused, right? You're going, what is going on? What is happening? And it can be scary, Disappointment will lead you to be scared and have all of that tell you how you're supposed to feel, how you're supposed to think, what you're supposed to do about it. And there's a third option. The option is the hope, the living hope of Jesus. I have faith in the future where God is there for me. That's hope. I have faith in my future that God is there for me. This is not the end. This is not all that there is. There's not only two options. There's a bigger option. And how I know... Disappointment is overcome is because of Romans 5, 5. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Your antidote for disappointment, however far back you may have to go to recognize it, however long you've been living in it, is that today... God wants to touch you by his spirit and renew and revive the hope of Christ that is in you. Not just that you decide to become optimistic, but that you choose to have hope in him, in his resurrection power for you, in his presence for you right now, and that he's gone into the future and prepared a way for you to bless your life from this day to that. Okay, so let's pray together. Let's pray together. Just, if you'll just close your eyes for a minute and I just, I'll just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about any scripture or statement that's made today, truth, that, that's for you to grab onto. Just take a moment and just, just let your spirit park there for a moment. Something that's relevant to you about hope, a scripture or a statement of truth that was made today. So now that you're there, I just want you to say to the Lord, I, I put my hope in you. I believe this about you. I put my hope in you. 
There's a psalm that says, it is better to hope in the Lord than trust in princes or put your trust in horses. In other words, resources of people. Go ahead and make that confession to the Lord. I'm not going to put my hope in other people. My hope is in you, Jesus. My hope is in you, Jesus. I'm choosing it today. I'm going to use my will to say yes, amen, that you are a living hope inside me. Make that confession. Make that commitment to him. And then if you need to, just make a confession of repentance. Lord, forgive me that I put my hope in and whatever that other thing might be, whatever that alternative perhaps has been. Just receive his forgiveness for that. He's so gracious to forgive us. And then just add to that. Just say, I renounce that. I renounce hoping in that anymore. I will not hope in that anymore. Father, I declare over this, this gathering together. We say, we say, uh, we sang it earlier in, from your word that your promises are yes and amen in Christ, in Jesus. So we say amen to everything that you say yes to. We say amen. We are a people of hope because you live in us. You, Jesus, you are our living hope. Thank you that hope does not disappoint us. We overcome disappointment right now in the name of Jesus. All disappointment is canceled. I declare over this congregation right now, all disappointment is canceled by a manifestation of hope rising in the hearts of your people, in the souls of your people. Let hope arise, I pray right now in this moment. Hope, not just for overcoming that disappointment, but faith for the future, giving us vision for today and for tomorrow, for next week, next month, throughout eternity, that you've gone into our future and prepared the way for us. I declare a manifestation of that living hope, hope of heaven, hope from heaven, rising in our hearts right now, that our future is bright, our best days are yet to come. There is more blessing to be poured out in our lives. There is more increase in our lives, more joy, more boldness, more faith, more healing, more money, better relationships in the name of Jesus. We hope in you for these things that you would manifest your kingdom in your church, through your church, that the world would be touched and changed and transformed by that, this manifestation among your people, among us, this little group this morning, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. I'm going to ask, thank you. I'm going to encourage you to do one thing, and I'm going to bless you with a scripture. Here's what I want you to do today. And I want you to do it boldly, because I did say, Hope makes us very bold. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to somebody. Let's kind of let us in this a little bit earlier. I want you to look somebody in the eye and tell them what you're hoping for in God. Maybe it's something that you just put down and said, well, I just kind of gave up on that. I'm just never going to be healed. 
I'm just never going to be or have or do whatever it is. Look at somebody and begin already to, to make it real. Tell somebody, I hope for blank. I'm not talking about some fantasy of, you know, a Cadillac or something. Maybe God wants you to have a Cadillac. I don't know. Not, not that selfish stuff, but the purposes of God for your life that you believe God wants you to have. I hope in God for blank. Tell somebody, and that's the beginning of you using your faith specifically. Apply to it to see it be manifest. In Jesus' name, I declare this over you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.